Hello and welcome back to the Bishop's Office. This week I've got a pretty unique mission for you. I'm talking to Freya Soinen about serving in Temple Square. I hope you enjoy it. Well, great to catch up with you this evening, Freya, and talk about your mission. How are you? Uh, yeah, good, thank you. Really good. Well, as is tradition, um, why don't you tell us where you served and when you served? Um, so I served my mission on the Temple Square or in the Temple Square mission in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and that was back in 2008 and 2009. So like to, I guess, talk a little bit about your time before your mission. Was a mission mm-hmm. something that you always wanted to, to do, always wanted to serve? Um, yes and no, not particularly. Um, I remember as a primary kid, of course, singing all the songs and um, attending all the activities and whatnot that I guess it was one of the things that sounded like a cool thing to do. And um, we regularly had missionaries over for dinner in our house. But I think by the time I was probably 10 or 11, it kind of just left my radar. Um, And throughout the youth program, um, it wasn't really something that I thought much about. Mm. Um, so yeah, it wasn't necessarily because I didn't have the desire. It was really because I had mapped out what I wanted to do with my life. I'm someone who's, um, a big planner. So by the time I was probably in year eight, I had already decided what I wanted to study and what I wanted to be, um, and what I had to do to get there. Um, so a mission year just didn't really enter the plans. I didn't think of it. So what changed? Well, it was it was quite a dramatic change, actually. So fast forward, you know, many years later when I'm actually in the middle of my law degree um, and I remember I had just changed jobs. I was starting a um, an internship, a legal position at SBS. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I was pretty interested in intellectual property and media law because I thought that might be a really cool way of combining the law with my interest in music. So, yeah, I found this position at SBS. Uh, I was, I think, 22 or 23. Um, and, yeah, I was doing what I wanted. I was studying what I wanted. I thought the job would be really good for the resume. Um, so in my mind, I was ticking all the boxes and doing all these things that I had um, set out to do. And my life you know, the rest of my life was filled with all those YSA dances and parties and road trips and whatnot. Mm. Um, but even though I was ticking off all my goals and doing what I thought were the righteous things to do, I really felt suddenly incredibly empty or like, like I felt like I was going around in circles um, despite achieving my goals. And so it kind of hit me one day. Um, there's one day in particular, in fact. I mean, th- that feeling did come on gradually that year, but... There's one day in particular when I was at this job at SBS. Um, I was still brand new, so I didn't know anyone. Um, and rather than eat my lunch in the kitchen, I would um, head to my car in the car park um, and I would read my scriptures um, and eat my lunch in the car. It was a bit odd for me, I think, to do that. But Elder Oaks had visited a few weeks beforehand and I was suddenly really you know, empowered to read my scriptures at lunch. And I was reading in the book of Alma, I don't remember where, but I just suddenly had this overwhelming feeling that the reason I felt the way I did, the reason I felt like I was going around in circles and not, you know, progressing or feeling happy or fulfilled was that I had to serve a mission. Um, It just hit me. 
like it was, you know, I just suddenly knew that that's what I had to do and I had to go now. And so within a matter of weeks, I was planning how I would just drop everything and go, basically. Um, What I find interesting about that experience is, you know, you weren't necessarily asking the question, should I serve a mission? It sounds like perhaps there was a question in your heart about, you know, why am I feeling like this, right? Why am I feeling unfulfilled? And in the attitude of, I guess, studying the scriptures, the answer came. Yeah. And I don't think it was any special verse or chapter. I think it was just because I was, I had the book open really. And I had that attitude of searching for something. And I had been sort of reading and searching and thinking for a little while now. But yeah, on that particular day, for whatever reason, something struck me that that was the answer. That's what was missing. And I wouldn't feel complete or fulfilled unless I dropped everything and went on a mission. And I felt like I had to go pretty quick. Um, And it's quite remarkable after that day, um, everything literally fell into place. Like it really didn't take very long at all to get my papers in. So um, the papers go in a couple of weeks later. How long did you have to wait for your call? Why don't you tell me about receiving your mission call and how that all went down? So my receiving and opening my mission call is probably not your typical <laughs> story. Um, well, the call arrived while I was away. I think I was at convention that year or something. And I came home and the, the call was just waiting for me on my bed. And I opened it up on my own. I had already made the commitment way before the call had arrived that I'd be totally fine no matter where I was sent. Didn't matter to me whether it was within Australia or outside or whatever. I just knew, you know, I was committed. I'd go wherever I was needed. Um, And then, of course, when I opened my call, all of that sort of went out the window a little bit. And um, I was actually really disappointed when I read where I was going. I read the destination and I guess my heart just sank. Um, I had this impression that Temple Square was not a real mission. I had visited Temple Square years ago with my family and my impression was that the sisters, there were just tour guides. And I thought, well, that's going to be boring and not a real mission. I'm not going to be doing real missionary work. Um, So, yeah, I was really disappointed. But having said that, at the same time, I had this strong impression that it was the place for me, that it was absolutely a call from God and that it was the right place for me at that right time. And I felt like I was kind of annoyed actually at getting that confirmation because I couldn't deny (laughs) um, that (laughs) it was what Heavenly Father wanted for me, that it wasn't random. So, yeah, I had to get used to that. Um, so for those people who maybe haven't been to Temple Square, why don't you describe a little bit about what happens in Temple Square and how a Temple Square mission differs to um, what a traditional full-time mission might be? So Temple Square is a location. It's a historical place um, right in the middle of downtown Salt Lake City. Um, it is the church's smallest mission. It literally is just the 10-acre square in the middle of the city. So on that block or on that square, um, you have a lot of historical buildings, one of which is obviously the iconic temple, the Salt Lake Temple. And then around that are all these other sh- church buildings. So some of them are used as administration buildings where the prophet and the apostles and other authorities go to work each day. The other buildings are the, the tabernacle There's an assembly hall. There are visitor centres on either side of the square um, and other monuments, statues or buildings that um, house either, you know, displays or exhibits or various things to do with church history. Um, It did also have Beehive House, which is one of Brigham Young's houses when he lived there as governor. 
we could take people on tours and go through the rooms of his house. And the mission also included a few places that were off the square. It included Welfare Square, which is another location owned by the church, um, as well as the Humanitarian Centre. Both of those places are obviously designed for the welfare and humanitarian needs of either people in that area or even internationally. Um, and we as sisters could take people through that. Okay, cool. And so Temple Square only has sister missionaries, is that right? It does, yes. So there are a few senior couples that go there as well, mm-hmm. um, but every other missionary is a sister missionary. It's rather unusual in that not only have we only sister missionaries, but we also don't attend uh, a family ward. So we don't have members to feed us. Um, we don't go to church on Sundays at nine or one or, or whatever the time may be with a family ward. We actually have our own ward. Um, we had sacrament meeting at 7am on Sunday morning so that we could be on the square from nine to nine, seven days a week. Um, we met in the Joseph Smith Memorial Building um, and we had our own little um, sacrament meeting there each morning. Um, so, yeah, very different. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and um, you must have some, you know, in your store of knowledge from all of these tours, some pretty interesting facts about church history sites and the, and the history of the church. Anything that springs to mind? Yeah, so when you first arrive on the mission, you are given things to learn or memorise. We certainly need to know our facts. Um, I think one of the most important things about the, the mission is the fact that we teach in a very different way. And so we need to have not only the basis of understanding church history, but how you can link that to the gospel. Because most people that go to Temple Square are tourists. I think they get up to like five or six million people visiting Temple Square each year. Most of them are from outside the United States. And a lot of them have just thinking that they've arrived just to learn a little bit about history. And we use that as a a way to teach the gospel, not just church history. So we learn how to, to link or to bridge any sort of fact um, you know, a date of when something was built or the architect who designed it or the, the tools that were used to build the building, uh, we would teach those facts, but we would link it back to gospel principles as well. Have you got a small example of, of how you might do that? Yeah, sure. I think the overall or arching principle there is that I learnt throughout my mission is that you can basically bridge anything to the gospel. So no matter what the topic of conversation was, and you would certainly have people come there, think, you know, they would say, You know, I'm not interested in learning about your religion. I just want to learn about the building. Um, Or, you know, they would openly tell you, I'm not interested in you converting me. And you think, well, that's fine. Let me teach you about the history. But you can absolutely bridge any topic to the gospel. Um, So as an example, I mean, a really obvious example would be people would come up saying, look, here's the temple. How do I get inside? They think that it's a historical building that they can go in and take photos of. Um, And we would teach them certainly how the temple was built and why. Um, and that was an easy way for us to explain why temples are so important to us. And I might explain to someone that um, these are places that we go to to be married in for eternity. So I might, you know, turn to a husband and wife that are um, talking to and say, Look, where were you married? You know, what was the service like? Tell me a little bit about your marriage and what the words were. And then I would link it back to the building behind me and say, well, this is the Salt Lake Temple, and what happens inside here is that we can be married for eternity, and these are the words that we say in our service, and I might explain a little bit more about that and why that's important to us. No, great. 
thanks for sharing that. And um, I guess the other thing about your mission is, um, aside from those sort of in situ teaching situations, uh -huh. um, the, the goal is to get information from people so that you can refer them to be taught by missionaries back in their local area. Is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. So we are very much based around trying to get referrals. Um, we did have a we do have a referral centre also on the square that we could work in. So we did have the opportunity to call people that we had met, um, or even just call other people that other sisters or other missionaries had met. But certainly, yeah, the idea was for us to get referrals so that we could pass along information or details to missionaries back in their hometown or their country, um, and that was really successful. I think more successful than people realise. Um, it's really valuable when someone feels the spirit, even for a small moment on the square, and they want to learn more, um, or when a member feels inspired to share the details of a friend um, because they want them to learn more about a particular principle of the gospel. And I think that's why having sister missionaries there was so powerful because we had missionaries from so many different countries. They just spoke so many different languages. And the really interesting thing was that when there was a sister on the square who spoke a certain language, people from their country would come. I remember when I first arrived at the mission, there was a sister who arrived at the same time with me and she was from Latvia. And the statistics showed us that they rarely had any tourists arrive from Latvia um, because nobody requested that language. But once she had arrived, suddenly just people from Latvia came. It was just you know, it was hard to explain. Um, I think the same thing happened with a sister who spoke Hebrew. No one had ever requested a sister missionary to help them out in Hebrew before. But once she arrived, the people came. Um, and we just saw miracles like that all the time. And the busloads of tourists, you'd get these big busloads come through with just people from China. That happens so often. That Just the amount of Chinese tourists that would come through, busloads at a time. And you'd see these sister missionaries lead you know, groups of 50 or 80 Chinese people around the square, they'd have to have a big megaphone so that they could teach their lessons to them. Yeah. Um, and then they would be really successful in having people request for either Book of Mormons or um, pamphlets or even they would have, um, you know, the Living Christ printed in Chinese or whatever for them. Mm. Um, off they'd go. Um, but certainly, yeah, the bulk of what we did there was at the end of a tour or at the end of a conversation is that we would have these referral cards and people who wanted to learn more or have someone actually come into their home and spend more time than we had to offer, then, yeah, we would collect those details and refer them back to their home missionaries. Maybe we can switch gears a little bit. What did you learn about the way the Spirit talks to us, including people who aren't members of our faith? I think one of the things on Temple Square, it's there's an undeniable power and we even had people who were non-members of the church recognise that there was something special or something different. Um, for some people, they even literally felt it when they, when they stepped onto the square, um, they went through the gates. They could literally feel a difference to when they were on the street. There was just countless times where you would see someone walk onto the square and they didn't know why they were there. They just felt like, they were just drawn to the place. There were even countless times where people had missed flights, a connecting flight, and they had nothing else to do and they would just come into the city and they just felt drawn or really interested. And I think it's a really subtle way, but I think a really obvious way when you see the spirit working in someone's life like that, where they just sort of follow their feet to somewhere where they feel really interested in. 
um, or they want to learn more about this place, or they can see that something different or special about it. There were also instances where you could really see the spirit working as you're teaching to someone. And I guess you, it's almost like a light bulb moment. You can see something change. There were certainly situations where I, were in, I was involved with um, teaching someone in a different language. While I wasn't called to speak in a different language, most of my companions spoke a different language. And so I was there to support my companion as they taught in their language. But I learned really quickly that I didn't have to understand or speak the language to be successful or to feel the spirit. I think when you break down missionary work to the, you know, right down to the fundamentals, a lot of it is about being a really good listener. And you start picking up on the nonverbal cues and working at how you can ensure the spirit is there for someone who is teaching and testifying. Our purpose was the same as the purpose of any other missionary. It's to invite people to come unto Christ and, you know, the rest is <laughs> whatever it will be. Um, were there hard times on your mission? Certainly, yes. Um, I think a lot of the hard times for me was probably physically, like I did find it quite demanding and tiring. And that was just a struggle that, you know, I felt like you just had to deal with it really. If anything, if there were any really big challenges, it was probably when I went outbound. So as part of being on Temple Square, we all receive a second mission call um, to go outbound for two or three transfers. Yeah, so I was called to go to the Louisville, Kentucky mission, which is a beautiful country. Um, I had known a little bit about it. I hadn't been there before, but I went there for three transfers. Um, I spent my first transfer in a really nice, well-to-do area in Lexington. That's an area that's um, quite well off, lots of horses and racing, and it was a really big ward uh, my time there was filled with lots of meal appointments and I, you know, I experienced the typical missionary experience of tracting and, you know, seeing a baptism and visiting families and, and whatnot. For the other two transfers, however, I went to the middle of nowhere, basically. And this is probably the, um, the time of my mission where I would cite that there were quite a few challenges, but they were really worthwhile challenges. So for these two transfers, I went to a little tiny town called Beattyville. So if you want to picture, you know, your typical hillbilly territory with most people living in trailers or dilapidated homes, right deep in the Bible Belt, that's where I was for two transfers. <laughs> and so you say um, you had a number of trials, but they were worthwhile. What happened and, um, and, and why do you say they were worthwhile? So um, there were a number of challenges. We also lived in a trailer um, and it was a rather sketchy area, a few shady characters and, yeah, pretty rough actually now that I look back on it. But I, I learnt early on when I was there that the real reason that my companion and I were there was not really to, to tract and to find people to teach. It was really there to support the branch so the area that we had was rather large. It covered a lot of different towns, but the branch there, was uh, it was struggling to survive, really. Most of the members just didn't attend. I think I entered the picture after a really long history of, you know, squabbles and drama. Um, there had also been some pretty bad events that had taken place that really shook people's confidence in the church. And so for a time, it just really wasn't a good place to send missionaries. And then they sent sisters in. So most of our time was devoted to really just trying to help in whatever way, shape or form we could, the struggling branch and the members there. I think I learnt that 
the mantle of being a missionary, you know, the, the priesthood endows us with a lot of gifts. And I think one of those gifts is the gift to love, like the capacity to love and the motivation to serve. For me, that just soared. Even though these two transfers, I knew it would be an uphill battle. I sort of just wanted to face that head on. Even looking back now, I feel like there was no way I can do that on my own. It was certainly the mantle of being a missionary, that the capacity to love and the motivation to serve these wonderful people just grew and grew. And by the end, I mean, I just had such a genuine love and concern for these people. Um, And I think, you know, the the church sends out 19-year-olds and 21-year-olds to be, you know, sort of just plonked in a place as random as this and to get started like it has to be the gifts of the priesthood that endow us with something like that you just can't do that on your own Mm, it's amazing isn't it it really (laughs) is how did your relationship with the savior change during the course of your mission i think for the most part i learned how to be more upfront and genuine in my prayers i'm someone who for a lot of my testimony, I'm rather academic. I like to know as much information as possible and all the facts and all the interesting bits and pieces. And I'll study the scriptures all the time. But I mean, that only gets you so far. I think I learned that to have a relationship with the Savior, it needs to be really personal and really genuine. And I think I learned and saw the importance of how I might change the way in which I would pray or communicate with him or how I might be mindful of him throughout the day. Rather than reading or studying about a historical figure, I learnt that the Saviour was or is a real personage that I can rely upon. Um, And I think one of the the clear ways in which I learnt that on my mission was that when I would pray, I would make sure and make a, a real effort, a sincere effort to pray and not use the same words and the same phrases and to really just be frank and open and just sort of lay it all out there. And I feel like when I would pray to my Heavenly Father in that way, that my relationship with the Saviour, it was able to develop and become much more sincere and genuine. What did you learn about the way your Heavenly Father speaks to you through the Spirit? I think for a lot of the times on my mission, when I received revelation, it was really more of... Um, because I found myself in an attitude of, you know, on the go and, you know, constantly doing, I found a lot of the times that if I just followed my feet or trusted my gut, that was the way in which the spirit would talk to me. You know, thinking of that verse in Doctrine and Covenants where the opposite of that would be a stupor of thought. And I can completely relate to that, again, both on the mission and since, that at times if I've had a stupor of thought while I'm thinking something out and I'm, you know, weighing up options or I'm looking at something, Um, to learn if it's true or not if I'm having that stupor of thought then that tells me very clearly that it's it's not right or it's not for me so I've certainly had a lot of times where if I trust my gut or my instinct and I've learned to I've I've learned over the years how to recognize how the spirit speaks to me because I know it speaks very differently to everyone and I love that it does that I love that it tailors um, the message to each of us you know that it's a personal message or messenger for each of us so that you know, it's giving us as much opportunity as possible to recognise the message or the prompting. So I know how to recognise that these days is, you know, really to trust my gut and my instinct. And if it makes me feel good and uplifted and, you know, really enthused, then I go, I go with it. 
I totally agree. Um, I think sometimes we we pray and we feel inspiration. Other times we pray and it's on the move while we're trying yeah. to, you know, make the best decisions we can and do the right thing that we feel like the guidance comes or the ideas come. And I think also, um, and I learned this really early on with my patriarchal blessing. I was expecting my patriarchal blessing to be really instructive and, you know, be really clear and specific and give me details. But I found that it was a bit vague on some subject matters that I was hoping it wouldn't be. Um, but I've learned over the years that Heavenly Father trusts me to make decisions. I'm quite capable of making decisions. I think we all are. And if I'm going to go down the wrong path, he'll let me know. Maybe to bring our conversation to a, to a bit of a close, how has your mission influenced your life since? I think I am... So, I'm, I know 100% that I'm a better person for it. Like, if there's anything good in my character or my nature, I think it comes down to my mission. I can't imagine my life not having served that mission. I'm sure I would have been fine, um, but I think I'm just 100 times better. Um, and I think also my understanding of the gospel um, and how to actually live it, not just read about it, has improved and, um, yeah, improved remarkably, really. I think I also learned how I could be more confident and unashamed to answer any kind of question. One of the things that you learn really quite quickly, I think, on the square is how to answer the different sort of awkward <laughs> questions. So you, you can imagine that anyone who comes there, um, who visits there, would start asking questions about, oh, I heard that you have lots of wives or I've heard that, you know, this and that about women's rights or the priesthood or this about your church history. And you learn rather quickly how to deal with those sorts of questions and not to be ashamed um, or hide away from, you know, people who are sincerely asking more about our faith or our church history. I remember very early on in my mission, um, so I mentioned that Beehive House is a part of our mission, which is the House of Brigham Young. And so obviously that's a great place where people will ask a lot about plural marriage or other things about church history. And I remember my mission president taught us that we needed to not only know how to answer those questions, but we needed to have a testimony of the answers as well. Um, I wasn't there just to sort of spout uh, or recite information but I needed to testify. And I think that's a hard thing to ask somebody, you know, to get a testimony of plural marriage or get a testimony of this or that in our history or, or some sort of a hard principle that can be, you know, quite awkward or quite confronting to teach. So one of the biggest blessings I think that I got from my mission is how to be confident and not ashamed um, and also help people really understand what my testimony is based on and, you know, how you can be a witness literally at all times and in all places. When you served and, and still it's not a requirement for, for sisters to serve, what advice or um, what would you have to say to a sister who might be considering serving a mission? I think in terms of advice for anyone who's going to go on a mission or who maybe is even just thinking about possibly going, um, I know that it can for a lot of us be quite easy to think of all the things that you might be missing out on if you disappeared for a few years <laughs> or put your life on hold for a bit. And that, you know, totally legitimate to feel that way. Um, I think at a time of life when we're asked to serve missions, it's also a time of life when we're looking and being asked to, you know, educate ourselves and date and explore the world and travel and do all sorts of wonderful things. So it is easy to sort of think about these things that you might miss out on. But I can honestly promise that the blessings 
and the opportunities that you'll get from serving a mission will far outweigh any challenges or concerns or any anxiety that you might feel. So I feel like for anyone who is contemplating going or who has received a call is to try and get to a place where you feel comfortable to let go and to not think or dwell too much on what you're missing out on. The, the, scripture, the scripture mastery in Proverbs was one that I would read and recite to myself over and over quite a lot on my mission, just to reassure myself that I could place my trust completely in the Lord. So for me, when I left, I had to defer my degree. And at that time, you could only defer for a year. So it was uncertain whether I could actually continue my degree. I had to resign a job that I loved that I had just gotten, which, you know, didn't look too hot on the resume that I worked there for a few weeks. I just met Matthew as well <laughs> before I left. Um, and there were a few other things and um, a few things that worried me and my family as well. And for all of those reasons, you think, well, it's totally fine to stay home. And sure, that might be the case. But for me, I read that verse in Proverbs and I thought, no, I've made a commitment and I feel it's the right thing to do. So the Lord's going to hold up his end as well. I'll place all that stuff on hold. And I think the key is just to not think about it and to trust in the Lord. Um, and to remind yourself that he will take care of all that other stuff when you return um, and to not feel like you're going to miss out on anything. Because I think one of the joys of serving is when you can focus on other people and not just yourself. You know, the joy of serving others and forgetting yourself, there's a true joy that comes with that. I think the best times of my mission are where I just completely forgot about myself and my own worries and just focused on other people. Um, and that just made it such a, a joy and a fun time. Um, it made the mission a blast, really, when I could focus on others and not myself. No, great advice and, um, and some wonderful lessons there that uh, you're able to draw out. Well, thank you for taking the time to um, share with us your mission experience. It's been, it's been really interesting hearing about the uniqueness of, of serving on the square and the uh, opportunities that it afforded you. Hmm, thank you. I really appreciate this. So thank you for, for asking me. It's been good to think back and, and remember some good times and um, yeah, to talk about it. It's been great. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing about Freya's mission. Really, really interesting and unique opportunity to serve there at Temple Square. And another testimony about the blessings that come from serving a mission. Well, that's all I have for you today. Until I speak to you again next time in the Bishop's Office.